Blog Talk Radio. Well, I still can. I'll try to help my loved ones understand how memories can fly like grains of sand, and that I'll remember them while I still can. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm really excited that you're with us today because it's going to be an absolutely fantastic show. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Resource website, blog, and the Shifting Your Dementia Care Culture webinar series along with Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Here at the radio show, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering them all to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. And our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as it. We are blessed to have our channel expert with us, Rick Phelps, who has early onset Alzheimer's disease, known as EOAD. Um, Rick was diagnosed in June of 2010, and he is the founder of Memory People on Facebook which is an absolutely wonderful support group for those living with early memory loss. Um, Also, their care partners, both family and business professionals and advocates as well. So how are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing good, Lori. So glad to be on your show again today, and I'm looking forward to your guest. Uh, This is going to be a very interesting topic. I've struggled with this for a long time with uh, the younger generation and uh, you know they need to they need to know about this disease. So I'm I'm looking forward to the show today. Well, great. I'm glad I'm glad you can be part of the show today. As you know, we also believe here on Alzheimer's Speaks that collaboration is the only way that we're going to shift caregiving from crisis to comfort by sharing our knowledge, our insights, our passions, and we encourage you in our mission to join us. So if you have questions or comments, please call in. Our hotline is 714, uh, I better read it right, 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Or you can always use the chat box if you signed in with Facebook, and I will pull your comments and questions in as soon as there's a break in the conversation. We'd love to have you join in because this is a hot topic. We have Bailey Rockholtz with us, and Bailey is going to share her story with us and talk openly about her journey with memory loss starting at the age of 13. This is going to be a fascinating show where we're going to explore what a child observes and feels from their perspective when a parent has dementia. You know, how has this changed not only her father's life, but their family's? and her own. What does her future look like? Where is she going? What does she worry about? What does she want to do? What did she want to know during the process? And how that can help others along the way. So I want to give you a little background as to Bailey because she's a pretty fascinating kid. Um, Bailey is actually our reigning Miss Minnesota outstanding team. She lives in Nisswa, Minnesota, and goes to Brainerd High School. She wants to obtain her bachelor's degree 
from Concordia St. Paul in communications and journalism with the goal of being a broadcast journalist. Her platform issues for Miss America Outstanding Teen is called Remember Me, Alzheimer's Through Through the Eyes of a Child. And there's a quote um, that I saw Bailey write, and I'd just like to read it because I think it just gives you a little more insight into what a phenomenal um, child and daughter that she really is. I've been given the unique life experience of having my father suffer from Alzheimer's. Despite its challenges, it has ultimately made me stronger, more focused, and a more compassionate teenager. As I reach out to various audiences, I want to be remembered for what I did as an educator, friend, and champion of Alzheimer's disease. I just think that that's so incredibly amazing for a girl of 17 to be so driven. So welcome, Bailey. I'm just very excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm really excited as well. Well, good. I um, <clears throat> I would like to start out with you telling us just a little bit about your family. You know, what was life like before Alzheimer's? And do you have siblings or are you an only child? Um, if you can just give us a little background there, that would be very helpful. Sure. Well, I'm an only child, and um, I always grew up with just my parents, and we were a really strong family. And um, my father was diagnosed in 2009 with early-onset Alzheimer's, and um, probably five years before he was diagnosed, we really started noticing signs that he was forgetting words and um, doing kind of weird things. So we, my mom kind of broached the subject to him about maybe going in to get an Alzheimer's test. And at first he was really um, hesitant to do it, um, but eventually he accepted the fact that he needed to go in and have this test. And um, I guess it was really hard at first to really um, come to terms with the disease and know that in, in, an, in an essence I'm losing my father. So that has been really hard, but I feel like our family has just grown from this and our relationships have grown as well. Well, that's neat. Now, did you notice signs before your dad went to the doctor? Were you picking up on things? I was. I noticed uh, the mood swings. That was the huge thing. My dad was always really happy and really fun and really funny to be around. And all of a sudden, he just got really angry, and uh, I didn't know what was going on, so I really retreated from him. And I really lost my relationship with him for a long time. And it got to the point where I couldn't be in the same room with him because I really just didn't know what was going on, and we fought all the time, and I had no patience. But now that he has been diagnosed, I've learned to have patience with him, and I've learned to cherish the the relationship that I have. Oh, that's neat. Now, when you were noticing things, was it being talked about as a family? Because a lot of times as parents, we try to protect our kids, and the kids see things and feel things and changes in a family dynamics, and that's really common when there's a chronic illness or when there's a divorce or separation. You know, parents try to kind of, you know, do things behind closed doors in terms of figuring out what the issue is before they, you know, announce it to the kids. And so, you know, did that happen in your household or was everybody just kind of not sure what was going on? What was what was the process like for you? Right. Well, it really was not talked about at all. And I, th- I didn't even know what Alzheimer's was truly until 
he, we got the diagnosis, and my mom told me about it. So it really was not talked about. It wasn't brought up. And actually, after he was diagnosed, my my mom and I kept it a secret from, from our family for a long time, for our, from our extended family, because it was just something that scared us, and we just didn't know how to react and how to accept it. And, and how did how did your dad react to the diagnosis? He was the same way. He was a very pulled back. He didn't want anybody to know. He denied it for a long time. But um, I think once I started talking about it and once I made it my platform for um, my pageants that I've been doing, I think he really opened up and started accepting it. Okay. Well, that's... Well, that's neat to to be able to have a, a platform. Most of us don't have, you know, a formal platform to be able to discuss it. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think it was your dad seeing that, you know, you could really make a difference and maybe make some changes in, in helping others that helped him um, accept the disease? Yeah, absolutely. I think in, um, in the early stages he realized that, but I think now he's just um, – He's gotten to the point where he just doesn't really realize that, and I think um, he's starting to get more uh, agitated and more angry. Okay, okay. And um, for you and your mom, you know, what has the process been like there? Can you can you share with us maybe some of the feelings that you've had? And I don't want you necessarily talking for your mom, but as a daughter, what did you see? Because I would imagine you you had to have seen some significant changes um, just stress-wise with your mom and the family structure. Absolutely. Well, our family was definitely very stressed after he was diagnosed, and um, it was really hard because I felt like we were kind of all walking on eggshells with the disease. But um, I have seen the toll that it has taken on our family, and it's been really stressful trying to juggle school and uh, work for me and making appearances and things like that. And I've seen my mom having to take on the role of a single mother, a caregiver, um, a working woman, and it's really hard and it's, um, it's, it's a huge strain on our family. Have you, um, in looking at your mom, because I, I know we all have a, you know this vision of our mom and then something like this happens, has it changed your view of who your mom is? Yeah, absolutely. My mom, I I guess I always knew my mom was a strong woman, but until this disease hit our family, I didn't realize just how strong she is. Well, that's, you know, that's that's kind of neat in in a, you know, kind of a sad situation, but to be able to see the the core values and strengths, you know, sometimes it takes a, you know, a significant in, uh, incident for us to be able to, yeah. to see that. Um, Absolutely. Now, Rick, you went through this, you know, with with being diagnosed, and you had a daughter and family, you know, that you needed to share this with. How did you go about the process? Did you kind of keep it hush hush for a while, or did or were you kind of out in the open with with the family with this right away? Well, Lori, as I've said many many times, everybody's different with this disease, and uh, I was. I accepted it right away. When I was diagnosed, it was like someone lifted a weight off my shoulders because I've been having problems for four or five years and nobody would listen. So as far as accepting it, I didn't have a difficulty time with that at all. Now, uh, Phyllis June, our daughter Tia, most definitely did because that's just normal. Um, 
Tia is a grown woman now. You know, she has three children of her own, our granddaughters, and and we sat them down, uh, just Brian and Tia, at our dining room table, and we discussed this. And it was very difficult, but then uh, we moved on, and, and I wanted to tell the grandkids. Um, we didn't go into depth about it being a fatal disease and things like that. Uh, the youngest is, uh, let's see, I think she's she's going into kindergarten next year. So what would that be, six maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, we just know that Grandpa forgets things and things like that. Now the older ones that are um, uh, start at 14 and, and range up to uh, 16 and a half, we, we did definitely explain to them uh, what's going on and what's going to go on. Um, I'm very... I was. I wanted to ask Bailey. How how old is your uh, father, Bailey? If I may ask. He is seventy four right now. Okay. Okay. I was just wondering. Um, I. Uh, it's difficult at best. You, you know that, and you realize that, and I, I understand uh, completely what your mother and you both are, are dealing with. And I'm so proud of the fact that you're doing what you're doing and speaking out because. Uh, on memory people, we have a we have a large group of people, caregivers and, and uh, uh, patients alike, and we also had a page one time uh, a few months back that uh, we allowed uh, some younger people in, 18 years and less. But uh, then I got a little nervous because we was having uh, younger kids on there, 13 and 14, who uh, were asking questions about this disease, but then it... it, it it rang a bell in my head on like the legalities of this. It could, it could, uh, we could be telling them things that their parents don't want to know, don't want them to know. So um, we we had to get away from uh, the the younger folks being on memory people. But uh, I, I wish there was a way around that because kids, if you don't explain this disease to them, they're going to know anyway because kids know a lot more than what anybody gives them credit for. Everybody knows that. So. <laughs> Talking to them is, is absolutely an essential thing to do. I agree. Now, Bailey, do you tap into any support groups online at all? I haven't. Um, we really, my mom, when my dad was first diagnosed, my mom tried to look for actual support groups in Minnesota that dealt with kids with Alzheimer's disease, and there were virtually none. And actually, this past Saturday, my mom and I had our first ever adult child support group for Alzheimer's disease. So it's starting to be more prevalent now. Very cool. Yeah, I saw some stuff from Lama on that, and it sounded really exciting. So kudos to you for breaking the ground. And, you know, it takes all of us to come up with the ideas because we're all coming from different perspectives, but we're not alone. There's a zillion people out there like us that need information. And so there's no right or wrong way to to necessarily spread the word. I know that um, Chris Wynn has a, a support group on Facebook um, for for kids because he, you know, he was a, you know, he wasn't a, a teenager, but he was a a child himself, you know, struggling with uh, with his dad's disease, and so he um, he started, you know, sharing stories and stuff. So if people want to mm-hmm. look up Chris um, Wynn, and that's C-R-I-S, and then a win is W-Y-N-N on Facebook. You could go ahead and connect with him. And he's done like a little documentary about um, the life with his dad and, and so forth on there as well. So um, you know, whatever resources we can, we can find for people, that would be, that would be great. Um, yeah. 
Can you tell me, did you share with your friends right away, Bailey, or or maybe you even shared with them before the diagnosis, just the frustration? Because if you were, with like most teenagers, you were, you know, if you're pulling away and, and fighting with your parents, usually your peers know. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're you the know, ones that hold you up. Yeah. Well, you know, actually I really did not tell anybody what I was going through, and even after his diagnosis, like I said, we kept it secret for a couple of months just because my dad was not accepting of the disease. But um, I guess I saw that once I started telling my friends um, those few months after, I found that they really did not want to come over as much, and they they just didn't want to be around him much, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's got to be just sad for you. How did how did you cope with that? You know, I mean, there's got to be like a zillion emotions bubbling up inside yeah. of you with all of this, and and trying to be strong. Um, I know my daughter would always try to be strong, and then I, sometimes I would catch her like when she would get upset if it was you know over my my mom who's got the disease, or even if it was a family issue or she was having a tough time in school or whatever it might be. She would put on this strong face, and then one day I realized what she did was she went in the bathroom and took a shower or a bath and cried while the water was running so nobody would know. And, you know, yeah. but trying to be strong for everybody else, to not have anyone else worry that that you're struggling. Did you do that? Did you kind of hide your feelings and emotions? Yeah, I would say in the beginning I really did just because, again, we weren't telling anybody and I just felt like I couldn't have anybody to talk to. But once I started telling people and once I started speaking about it more, I feel like I've come to accept it more and I've come to learn that um, I just need to be patient and uh, just know that I'm losing my father and that there's nothing I can do about it. Well, and that acceptance actually can give you so much freedom but it's it's not an easy place to get to <laughs> you no know, absolutely you know, not yeah and it's not something um i know people ask me all the time how did you get there you know you you cope so well with it and it's like well first of all i've had 30 years to deal with this <laughs> you know this wasn't an overnight yeah. you know boom i took a pill and now i'm i'm sure. good with it you know this was I mean, and everybody, like Rick said, everybody is different. You know, the person with dementia, all the family dynamics and friends. Um, and then I think one of the big differences can be is who you end up surrounding yourself with. Because if they're supportive of you and what you're going through, um, and if they have resources for you or will listen, you know, to your ideas of developing resources, um, that can be so empowering. Um, how did you guys get hooked up? Because I know you're you're tied in very strong with the Alzheimer's Association, which is a great thing. How did you how did you get to them? Was that a referral through the doctor or? Yeah, well, actually, it was um, the doctor didn't give us any information about the Alzheimer's Association, and it was my mom actually that was. Uh, she just searched Alzheimer's on Google and found that there was an Alzheimer's Association right in Minnesota. So she called them and kind of got connected with them, and they got us connected with the Walk 10 Alzheimer's, which is right here in my hometown, Brainerd. So that's kind of how we got really involved with the Alzheimer's Association and their services. And that's so sad that the doctor, I mean, that's not uncommon of a doctor not giving out referrals to support people. 
And oh uh, yeah, we. My mom walked working. out of the clinic with a piece of paper, and um, it happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, Rick, you talk about you know what, were you in there twelve minutes and they said see in see in six months or whatever. <laughs> that was it. Seventeen minutes. And and I wanted to tell Bailey it's very important to remember that. And I'm sure she knows this by now, but by accepting this disease doesn't mean you've given up by any means. It just means that you understand this disease now, what That's it's doing right. and what it's going to do in the future. And, and I know when she said her dad's uh, anger and, and lashing out and things like that, and it's very important to remember that it's not your dad doing that. It's the disease. I, I tell people that all the time. It's a brain disease. It's not memory loss. It's an actual uh-huh. disease brain. Mm-hmm. Now, sure. Bailey, did you see other signs besides the mood swings in your dad? Um, other things that were happening that made you think something something was off kilter? Not really. It was it was mostly the mood swings. Okay. Okay. And then, um, and, and this is going to be a hard question. And if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to. Um, but do you ever think about the future and? You know, what about the day maybe your dad doesn't know who you are? Yeah, I definitely think about it, and I I try to go over in my head how I'm going to react and what I'm going to feel like so that I can brace myself for that moment. But truly, I guess you can't, you can't ever prepare for that moment. Yep. And, you know, I guess, you know, for me, and I, I didn't realize this, but when I was 13, my aunt, who I was very, very close with, was in a nursing home. And when I was 13 on a beautiful, bright summer afternoon, I don't remember the date, but I, I will never forget the feeling of when she did not know who I was. And she knew everyone else but me. And I was the closest out of all of our family. Her and I just had a very special relationship. And I was so hurt and so crushed I cried literally. I mean, just crocodile tears for two weeks. I just I couldn't understand what I did wrong, and nobody had any information to console me. It was just this is what happens when people get old; they get senile, mm-hmm. and that was it. And just I was supposed to walk away from it and let it go, and I couldn't because it it was just it was like a co- part of the core of me. And yeah. know, little little did I know later, you know, my mom would get the disease and I'd be on this journey and I would change careers and I would, you know, be this advocate on steroids for the disease. But one of my, you know, fears back then, I, and I remember saying this to myself, was I don't ever want anyone else to ever feel the way I feel in this moment. And and the other thing that I want to say, and I'm not saying these things to to scare and kind of impending doom, but what I have learned on my 30-year journey is they may not be able to state your name, but that doesn't mean they've forgotten you. Because um, a few years ago, my mom had not said my name <clears throat> in three years. And I went to visit her in the nursing home and just through this story said a joke and she was sleeping, and um, and I and I made this kind of goofy statement, and she giggled and opened her eyes, and she said, "Oh, Lori, I don't think I should be wearing a bikini because I made some comment about a bikini," and then she went back to sleep, and I again oh. sat, sat on the bed and I bawled like a baby. I'm not kidding for two hours, thinking I hadn't heard her say my name in three years. 
I never really knew if she knew who I was. And she confirmed for me in that moment that she knows me. She just can't always express it to me. And and that gave me uh, just such hope. And, I mean, that's a moment in my life I will never, ever forget of the the precious little things that are, are so important. And I didn't even realize how much I missed hearing my name until she stated it. And so even if that moment comes, you know, I just want to reassure you that they do know because our connections are much deeper than a name and we communicate on a lot of different levels. And I, I would, if there's anything I can give you, I would like to give you that, that hope and that thought um, to stay with you because this is, a, this is a, tough, a tough journey and there's a lot of emotions um, you know that we that we work through on that. Um, now I know the disease has changed your life a lot, and so why don't we talk about all of the um, cool things that you're doing? Why don't you tell us how it's changed your life, and then we can kind of get into your educational um, program and your platform and so forth. Sure. Well, Alzheimer's disease really had to make me mature a lot faster than a lot of my peers because I had more responsibility at home. So I really feel like I I grew up a lot faster. And um, through that, I've found that I'm able to speak about it. And um, it has been so great to be able to um, share this message throughout Minnesota. Well, that's good. Can you tell us about the educational program that you've started for children and teens? And and what exactly is it? And how do you go about delivering it? Sure, well, the, the education program kind of started um, that same year, 2009, when he was diagnosed that fall, and I started taking it into elementary schools, and I just kind of spoke to the kids about what Alzheimer's disease was. Um, I told them my personal story and just kind of connect with them on that basis, and then I really opened it up to questions for them because I really believe in the power of them learning from their questions rather than me sitting up there and and telling them about what Alzheimer's disease is. And um, it has blossomed from elementary school students to um, both middle, high school, and college-age students. So it's any age group that um, is dealing with Alzheimer's disease. And I guess I didn't realize how many people are truly affected by Alzheimer's disease, especially children, until I started speaking about it. And, and, And I realized that I'm really not alone in this journey. It is amazing. I know when I go into the schools and I, I would um, train on um, age sensitivity and then I started talking about Alzheimer's as well, and, and I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked at the number of kids um, that were dealing with this and didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and most of them said, my parents don't tell me. Many of them, it was a grandparent um, and not necessarily a parent. And they said that it's not discussed. No one tells me, and I want to know. I want to know. I want to know how to help, and they won't tell me. And mm-hmm. and I just oh, it just made me so sad to think you know yeah. they're compassionate and they they want to you know they want this information and they want to be a part. And as adults, we're trying to protect them and we're pushing them away. And they're and you're all such a powerful force. Um, you know we need to we need to reckon with you guys and and. Um, you know, light a fire like you have because you're you're going to do some big things, honey, with with what you're doing. It's and you you already have um, empowering kids with information and the freedom to ask questions 
and to feel safe. I mean, that's massive. That's absolutely mm-hmm. massive. It would be neat to be able to get your curriculum into um, the school districts just as a regular part, you know, of of teaching would be really absolutely. really a neat thing to do. Um, what, do you have, can you share with us any kind of perceptions that the kids have, maybe even at the different age levels of what Alzheimer's or dementia is? Well, a lot of times um, I find that they know what Alzheimer's, they know what it is, but they just don't know the name of it. So they know that these people are forgetting things and that they can't remember, but they just don't know what the word is. And I found that once I started saying this word over and over, that they finally started to get it, and I could see the light bulbs go off. And a lot of times they confuse Alzheimer's disease with old age, and that's a really fine line to try to explain to them that there's a difference between Alzheimer's disease and mild cognitive impairment. So that was a huge thing. And then I've also found that they um, get confused with dementia and um, how dementia is like the umbrella term. So they they just don't, they can't really... Um, wrap their heads around that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot of big terms. I was amazed at how compassionate um, the kids really were, though, and the concerns that they had. And um, some some would talk, and I don't know if you heard this, but they, they kind of felt jilted, um, especially for the parents who were caring for their parents, and so it was their grandparents. And they felt like they were once a priority and they aren't anymore. And kind of that shift in um, who their parent is caring for and the priorities. And you could just see it in their faces and you could hear it in their voices that they just felt kind of lost. And because mm-hmm. they didn't, because they weren't told why, they didn't, they couldn't really put all the pieces together, many of them, of what yep. was going on. And they really need a resource, um, you know, to be able to release that pain um, and their frustration and their grief and and be able to share their joys as well. Um, that safe, like I said, that safe place to talk. Now, um, you had mentioned, you know, that you had this group on Saturday, and that was with parents and their kids? Yes. Okay. And um, and are you going to continue doing that group, or was that a one-time thing? Or no, nope, we um, we're going to continue to do it. It's going to be twice a month um, um, in Nisswa, actually, right in my right near my house at the Lutheran Church of the Cross. Okay, great. And do you know what days and times you're meeting offhand, or the twenty-first of this month is our next meeting? Okay, great. So if people have any questions and are up in the Nisswa, Minnesota area, um, you can either get a hold of, of myself or get a hold of Bailey, and sure. um, we'd be glad to direct you through that. Now, is that a group that is through the Alzheimer's Association, or is this something you're doing independently? Yes, it is uh, through the Alzheimer's Association. My mom and I are trained facilitators, so um, we kind of have some guidelines to follow. Okay, great, great. Well, that's wonderful. It's um, it's always good to know. So they could also contact the Alzheimer's Association hotline. Then I would imagine to be able to find out about about the group as well. Yeah, um, I believe. So. Okay, and then can you tell us about you know your platform for your pageant experience and and you know 
what you're doing with that, what you know, what you see coming in the future here from that? Sure. Um, that same year that he was diagnosed, I competed in my first scholarship pageant, and it was Miss Minnesota's Outstanding Teen. And for this, it's the Little Sister Program to the Miss America system. So you have to have a platform, which is a community service project that you're passionate about. So mine is Alzheimer's disease, and that's why um, I've been doing all this, because I really feel that it's important to have a, a, a strong platform. And um, I was actually just crowned Miss Minnesota's Outstanding Teen 2012 back in March. So um, it has been so great being able to travel the entire state of Minnesota promoting Alzheimer's disease and sharing my stories. And that's, that is so neat. I mean, it's um, to have you in that position and to be able to spread the word to, you know, other young teens as well as their family members is, is huge to be able to give voice to it in another fashion. Rick, is there anything you wanted to add? I've kind of been running on here. No, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued by your conversation. I, I would like to take a time to invite uh, Bailey on to memory people. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have uh, an array of people, like I said, caregivers and, and patients alike and advocates, but uh, she could bring a whole new light to this. Uh, I know there's many people on there, and we've had this discussion dozens of times about uh, you know, younger people and how to explain to them, and, and everybody's different. I know people in there that say they they don't want to tell their kids about it and they're not going to, and then other ones say, well, I did, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, it's kind of a personal thing, I would imagine, but uh, she could certainly uh, uh, add to uh, the education part of it as patients and caregivers alike on there um, from what she's doing. Yeah, to be able to share from... From a child's angle, you know what it's like. I, I, it could be really powerful if you, if you've got the time to squeeze into your schedule, it might be something to check out. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, now Bailey, uh, do you have more pageants? Uh, you know, is there another kind of segue to your pageantry? I, I wasn't in all that, so I don't really understand it all. So. <laughs> yeah, well, um, actually, in August, I will go down and compete for Miss America's Outstanding Team down in Florida. And um, for that, I'll be raising money for the Children's Miracle Network, which is um, a band of nonprofit children's hospitals. So I'll be able to promote both the Children's Miracle Network and my platform of Alzheimer's disease down at the National Pageant in Florida. Oh, very neat. Now, is that televised at all? Is that something that we can It is not, to? unfortunately. Okay. Well, maybe they'll have something on video afterwards, you know, in this day and yeah. age. You'll, yep. you'll have, to, have to keep us posted on that. Well, we... Definitely wish you luck on that. Um, Thank you. That's very, very exciting, and we would love to. We would love to see you win and be able to again lift awareness even, even more. Now, can you tell us some ways um, that that kids can get involved in terms of? Yeah. Well, the main thing that I say when I go into schools is get involved with your local walk to end Alzheimer's. There are many throughout the entire nation and throughout Minnesota, and it's so easy to volunteer that day. So that's one thing that I would definitely say get involved with because it's a lot of fun. And then there's also things like um, advocacy, um, trial matches, or things like that, that if you just simply call the Alzheimer's Association, they can hook you up with all of those things. Okay, great, great. Rick, are you aware of any other resources or ways that you know, you'd like to add where kids can make a difference? Well, um, <laughs> Lori, it's hard for me to uh, deal with 
with this disease alone, with just the adult part of it. I, that's why I'm so glad that people like Bailey are uh, are uh, getting on the bandwagon here because it's so important. You know, they're our future, and uh, they need to understand this disease. And and knowledge is power. And and I, I'm for it 100%. I, I can tell you this, I'm going to be contacting our local schools here uh, mid-summer to set up a, a program where I can go and speak, but uh, we'll, see how, we'll see how that goes and, and uh, um, how, how that's taken here. Sometimes uh, people are a little weary of, of doing that with children, you know, uh, because of the legalities, you know. I mean, they just they don't want their kids being taught this or told about this without the parents' approval and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, most of the schools, I think, ha- you know, have a curriculum in their, their health care classes um, or health classes. And um, like I said, I, I went in under um, kind of this age sensitivity, and then um, a lot of them started talking about dementia. And it was going to be, can you just talk for 10 minutes? Well, then pretty soon I combined the two and we do two-hour cracks of um, the age sensitivity, and so then we could talk about the differences of normal aging and really what our perceptions are of one another and how we view things, and and then we'd get into um, Alzheimer's and dementia as well. And it was it was really just great fun to do. The kids were very interested in it. And um, Bailey, do you find that they're pretty interested in the topic? Yeah, they are. It's really, yeah, they definitely are. One of the things that I would really encourage kids to do is, you know, be creative when it comes to this disease. Um, I get a lot of people, you know, reaching out to me that have done videos. They have done um, songs and music and poetry, artwork, photography. Um, So, you know, don't think it has to be in this little box of something that, that already exists. It's perfectly fine for you to create your own outlet to raise awareness, and there's lots of ways to do that, and it can be very creative and very fun. So tap into, you know, and I would say this for kids or adults, tap into what is natural to you and what brings you joy, because if you like what you do, you're going to do it even better. And and then you're going to have a bigger effect on everyone. Um, the Alzheimer's walks, of course, are uh, absolutely amazing when you get all that energy together. <laughs> it's, 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 and it's very reassuring um, and gives you a sense of not being alone um, in in the in the struggles with it. And you know that's a great way to be able to um, meet people as well. Um, as a, as a daughter, was there anything um, that you really struggled with that you really had a a difficult time um, with in terms of your journey so far with your dad? I think it's just the fact that I don't have that father figure in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just coming to accept that fact and just um, learning from it and being strong from it. Yeah, that's a a huge, huge lesson. And how about, um, you know, what has come through this bizarre disease as a gift to you? Well, it's um, whenever I hear my dad talk about his time in the military, he was a um, Marine vet, or he is a Marine vet, and um, 
it amazes me that he can still remember every detail of what he ate and what he did and things like that. And I, I really cherish that because that's something that he can still remember, and that's just so incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's neat. Do you think in some ways, um, and this might sound strange to people who aren't familiar with the disease, but do you think your relationship with your dad is deeper than it once was because of this disease? I think so. I think I just have a greater understanding of what he's going through and what he has to struggle. So I'm just I I understand him better. I feel like. Mhm. And that's you know I think it's always really important for us to understand the gifts kind of wrapped in disastrous packages sometimes <laughs> because yeah. if we if we look for the blessings they they are there, um, but if we don't look for them we'll never find them. Um, right. And we can't. We can't do anything. I do want to just um, throw out there again: if anybody has any questions or comments, and they'd like to call in, the number is seven one four three six four four seven five seven. Again, that's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. Or again, you can always use the chat box as well. Um, when it comes to giving parents advice in terms of um, talking to their kids, what what would you say to them about this disease? I think I would just say that you need to accept the facts and get yourself educated because that's the only way you'll be able to cope with it is when you know what's going to happen and you can um, just understand what's happening to your loved one. Yeah. And once they can cope with it, then that will help uh, their kids cope with it as well. Absolutely, because we, you know, yeah. Because we feed off one another. So if we're seeing somebody all stressed out or angry, I mean, we, we pick that stuff up and we become that sometimes. And so as parents, I think sometimes we forget um, how much the kids really do know and feel and sense and how frustrating that that can be for them when they're out of the loop um, with that. How about um, any advice in terms of, you know, how to tell your kids, how to talk to them about this disease for the first time? I would just say don't sugarcoat it. I would just say give them the cold, hard facts because um, they're eventually going to find out because there's ways that they can research this through the Internet and books and, and things like that. So just tell them what's going to happen and just be open with them and be willing to answer their questions. Oh, that is great advice because uh, as much as we as adults get on in Google, we we got nothing on you guys. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Technical, technically savvy um, than we are. And, you know, that, I mean, any adult will tell you, you know, you can get on there and Google a disease and, and it can scare the heck out of you. Um, yeah, that's, definitely. That's not healthy. Um, for people, and so you really need to be talking about it and developing a team plan and not losing your sense of family um, because, you know, that's your core. So don't ever give that up to any disease, um, if it's dementia or, you know, cancer or whatever. We we have to be strong together, and um, then we can better care for one another. Um, anything else that you want to share, Bailey, with us? You know, I guess if somebody 
was looking for ways in which they can help or just someone to talk to, there's a 24-hour helpline that the Alzheimer's Association has, and um, that number is 1-800-272-3900, and that is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you're always going to talk to a real person. So it's really, really helpful if you're just going through um, just a tough situation. Okay, and can you repeat that number again for our listeners? Sure. 1-800-272-3900. Great, great. And if people are are interested in contacting you, maybe having you come out to speak to a group or um, getting more information or maybe just brainstorming on what they can do um, if it's a, if it's another um, teenager, are you open to having them reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's ways you can reach me on Facebook, and then there's also I have an email set up, and that is Miss Minnesota's Outstanding Teen at Gmail dot com, and um, that connects you to both myself and my directors. So if you're wanting to book an appearance or have me come talk about Alzheimer's disease, that's where you want to um, email to. Okay, and I have to look at something here because um, I'm looking at something that I copied, and I might have. I might have it wrong, but is it Miss Minnesota or Sotas with an S? S, with an S. With an S. Okay, so Miss yes. Minnesota's, plural, 2012. Okay, com is, is also another um, avenue for you? Yes, that is my blog, and there I just update about what I've been doing appearance-wise. Okay, great. Well, wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for your time today, Bailey. Rick, do you have yeah, any other questions that you would like to ask Bailey? No, but I don't. Uh, she's she's uh, opened up. Uh, what she's doing is excellent, and and what she said about not sugarcoating this disease to uh, to the younger ones is absolutely right. And uh, also, what you read on the internet. You know, the Internet is no better than the person that's posting it. There's a lot of good things on there, but there's a lot of things on there that, that that's not so good. So you have to beware. And I truly believe you can't get any better information than you can from a patient and or the Alzheimer's Association, like Bailey was saying. They have, a, have an excellent program. I've been dealing with them for a couple of years now, and they've helped us out immensely. So... But, uh, Bailey, I'm going to have to run, too, but I wanted to tell you, I wanted to thank you for being on today and, and everything you're doing, and I hope to uh, see you on Memory People, and I'm going to be watching your blog, too. So thank you so much, and I'm very proud thank of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good. Well, again, thank you for all your time today, Bailey, and I wish you great success uh, when you go to your pageant in August. You'll have to keep us all posted on that and uh, let us know how that goes. I would love to love to um, find out and um, if there's any way we can we can help you with that i don't know how the voting goes if it's just the judges are live or if it's like a american idol and people can text in you let us know <laughs> all right i will definitely let you know <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll help support you in any any fashion we can thank you great well with that i'm going to go ahead and um, close the show up then I do want to inform people of some upcoming episodes that we have. On the 14th, I'm going to have Lisa Snyder on from California, and she is an author of a couple of books. She's going to be talking about living your best with early-stage Alzheimer's disease. And then on the 28th, Chris Morissette is going to be with us, and he's going to be talking about hospice and palliative care. 
And um, and then Rick is going to have a show um, in on July 17th talking about his While I Still Can video series. And so, again, I thank you all so much for listening. And um, if you've enjoyed the show, we would appreciate you helping us spread the word. We're a grassroots organization. Uh, so if you can like us and tweet us and feel free to go ahead and email this episode um, to anyone you think it would help. And all of our shows are archived, so there's lots of great information. We've been doing this about a year now. So, again, um, we would love your collaboration. And if you think you might have a story for us and you're ready to talk, uh, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimersspeaks.com. And Alzheimer's and Speaks are both plural. And I would love to talk with you if you are a person with memory loss, if you're a personal caregiver or a professional trying to make a difference in the world. As always, um, please use your simple tools that your memory chip teaches you, um, keeping in mind, are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free? Until next time, thank you. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.